Welcome to the Purdue Engineering Podcast. This episode is part of the College of Engineering's Rising to the Challenge series. We'll discuss research addressing critical issues related to societal resilience in the face of crises and efforts to engineer long-term solutions for a more robust future. In this podcast, we're highlighting the School of Industrial Engineering. My name is Julia Sibley, and I am here today with Shimon Knopf, a professor of industrial engineering at Purdue University and director of the PRISM Center. PRISM stands for Production, Robotics, and Integration Software for Manufacturing and Management. Hello, Professor Knopf, and thank you for taking time to share about your work. There may be listeners who aren't familiar with industrial engineering, so I'd like you to start out by explaining a little bit about what industrial engineering is. Let me begin by saying why I chose industrial engineering as my career. As a young person, I uh, was considering many options, and uh, engineering was one of them. And I looked at engineering, and I saw that uh, most engineering at that time was heavily related to math, physics, and chemistry. I read a small brochure about industrial engineering at the time, and succinctly it said that industrial engineering is beyond those three scientific areas, is also looking at statistics, at uh, psychology and psychological sciences, and at social sciences. And the reason is because industrial engineering is looking at the broader view that includes humans in what we call today in the loop or on the loop. And uh, that uh, that was satisfactory to me as a young person looking to contribute to society. There are four main pillars to industrial engineering which are somewhat different than other engineering. And the first one is that we seek to uh, produce value. So the word produce is not necessarily produce products. Of course, it entails that. It can entail produce services. But the overall goal is to produce value, which means somebody has needs, and we find solutions to fulfill those needs. The second pillar was an integrated view. Instead of looking at a device or a product or a service, we're looking at the influence and impact of what goes into that product and how using that product by the intended users or beneficiaries is influencing other people, the environment, the society, and so on. The third pillar is optimizing economically, optimizing socially, and optimizing individually. We immediately understand that individuals have individual differences, and if we don't seek solutions that are good for most or all individuals, and certainly for the individual at stake, the, the, the one in need, then we're providing perhaps a fantastic uh, car or a fantastic airplane, but it won't work. And then the fourth and last uh, of the four pillars is a system and network perspective. So similar to the previous pillars, we're not looking only at a single thing. For instance, a structural engineer would focus on building a high-rise or building a bridge or building any 
maybe may a hospital uh, or airport. But uh, we need to look as industrial engineers at the system and network, the network that involves other systems that are associated with that structure, the network of uh, utilities that has have to go into that structure, and, and so on. So, so those uh, four periods, all of that was in a very short brochure of two pages. And uh, for a young man, it was enough to say, uh, if engineering, it is industrial engineering. It sounds like industrial engineering is very interdisciplinary, perhaps holistic. Industry has two important meanings. The first one is we're talking about industrial methods, industrial best practices that pertains to anything. It could be for transportation, it could be for tourism, for cultural systems. And many of our graduates work in law, in medicine, in business, in variety of manufacturing industries, in supply networks, and so on. And I will add one more thing that is important that uh, most industrial engineers, maybe not all of them, understand. It comes from the word industrious. There is a fantastic word in English. Are you industrious? What does it mean, industrious? It means you have the aptitude and interest to provide things that have industry strength, industry value. Let me give you a, an example from my own career. Uh, in the first few generations of robots, the, the, was the use of the term industrial robots. What does it mean, industrial robots? It was mainly to, when you ask people in the street, they will tell you, oh, industrial, because they work in industry. So, oh, you have tourism industry, so you have robots that work in the tourism industry. Of course, this is a joke. The meaning of industrial robots was, at that time, to differentiate from toy robots. Now we are calling them collaborative robots. This is the current generation of robots. To make them collaborative, what we think as industrial engineers about collaboration is not only to enable them to communicate and deliver signals, it is also how to optimize the way they collaborate so they don't forget to do some things, they don't do things twice, they do things without damaging each other, not physical collision, as well as no logical collision, and, and so on. So we're talking now about the virtual factory, the e-manufacturing, the e-logistics, e-services, and the, we are getting to the generation now of collaborative cyber-physical systems. So what you described sounds like it fits my image of some buzzwords that we hear more in the media. Things like Industry 4.0, or Factory of the Future, or even Industrial Internet of Things, or IoT. Can you tell me a little more? Industry 4.0, we can define based on four main capabilities. The number one is focus on sensors, which brings us to data-driven. If we have sensors, we can exercise real-time control, because we sense and we can immediately change our decision on how to operate and what method to apply. And then the use of clouds, cloud computing, cloud memory, cloud services, and then the use of big data analytics. That is uh, fairly important in Industry 4.0. And the fourth one, which is important because it repeats what the Industrial Revolution did, is integration and interoperability. Integration and interoperability means things should be able to be interchangeable, interoperate, work together, 
to improve the industrial strength and industrial method of best practices. Now, there is a problem with Industry 4.0 because it means different things to different people. The reason we are not that excited about Industry 4.0 terminology is twofold. First of all, we understand that industrial generations, especially we all know the Industrial Revolution, are not about a certain industry. They are mostly about the social implications of industry and urbanization. Urbanization is probably the main feature of industrial revolution. The movement from agriculture that because of mechanization and steam capability and industrial interchangeability, agriculture could be mechanized and less people were needed for agriculture. So more of them could move to services, to manufacturing, to healthcare, to, to help uh, social needs to help uh, security and to help uh, other uh, needs of society. That is very important. If you look at the time it took from the Industrial Revolution to the next change, big change in industry, which was the appearance of electric power, uh, it, it took hundreds of years. And uh, when you look at the changes in the generation or abilities of a civilization to operate complicated networks, complicated systems, you realize that the changes are very rapid. Actually, within my lifetime, I saw the change from before computer, BC, to the before internet, which is BI, when we connected computers and they started to interact, and then we optimized the interaction, or tried to optimize, with collaboration between computers and practically the people and the robots and the tools behind the computers. Well, we start with BE, which is before electro electricity, and then BC is before computers, and then the BI is before internet, and then we call BCP today before cyber-physical. And then we, we know that the future is unknown to us, but we can see some emerging facts. IoT got a lot of uh, media publicity, just like AI did in the 70s. The problem with IoT is that it enables data science activities over many physical things. The moment you connect them, you can sense what is going on in them. We are also talking about wearables that are embedded with sensors and electronics. It enables us to collect information about every individual in real time, which is bringing us back to what cyber is doing. Real-time data collection and decision-making to implement the best decision, the industrial strength methods that will be best for your health, best for your mental health, best for your nutrition, and so on. But when we talk about Internet of Things, we are only enabling Let's remember what we said about industrial engineering. We're concerning, concerned not only about the ability and enablement of collecting data from things. We're very concerned about what will you do with the data. Mainly, how will you use intelligence, or what we call today cyber, to use this data, not just collect it. Collecting is one thing. What do you do with it? 
some people are also concerned about the privacy, some people are concerned about security. That is all necessary. Those are all social needs and individual needs for privacy, for security, for safety. But there is also the question, how don't you overload robots? How don't you overload people with too much information? If you can collect physical things and you have the IoT, beautiful. And then what do you do? What do you do with the massive big data, what we call big data? Yeah, you collected it. And what do you do with it then? Then industrial engineers have to come and build methods, industrial strength methods, procedures, optimization tools that will use the data judiciously, which means not only safely and securely, but also to the point that we will not be overloaded. It's a big deal. So I think I'm hearing that some industrial engineers try to figure out which data is relevant and suggest not only optimizing the system per se, but also trying to optimize data collection, trying to figure out what data is relevant um, or which data could be of service for decision making possibly. Our colleagues, not only industrial engineers, other colleagues too, developed the concept of IOS, Internet of Services. By the way, there are already industrial strength standards, international standards for the design of IoT and for the design of IOS. But the, the, the IoT is valueless unless you combine it with IOS, with the services that automatically, what we call today cyber automatically or cyber collaboratively know what to do with the data, not only to enable the best quality of the data that we gather, but also the best usage, the best implementation, the best memorization. What do you need to keep? How much of it can you forego? And so on. So part of it is related to machine learning, which is important data science capability, important artificial intelligence capability. All of that is part of cyber today because we can do that and we have to do that in real time. A big worry in civilization today at all level of society is that people get information that they don't need to get. It's not that they are censored, that they are not allowed to get, but how do you select what, from all the data that is accessible to you what is really necessary for you? And if we have an industrial organization, let's say a bank, a financial system, or a court system, or a government system, and they need information, it's beautiful that they can get any information they want, but how much time do they have in their lifetime to go over, sift all over it and find out what they need? So in industrial engineering, we are looking now for ways to optimize the flow of information so that, yes, you can get access to anything you want to get, but why don't you rely on your own selection of what do you really need? And if we can get to that point, we optimize the use of time. We optimize the use of human brains. We don't overload them with information that is nice and available and give them the freedom that they can see anything. But if you have 24 hours a day for work, how much of it do you want to use to be overloaded? So that term of overload is quite important in industrial engineering. Another area of changing needs has to be human factors. 
or how humans use and interact with technology systems. Can you speak to this as it applies to your work and other emerging areas in industrial engineering? Humans of different uh, capabilities, uh, different skills, different experience, are having to work together on a system that is uh, requiring change. All the time there is change. We call that uh, human-robot interaction, human-computer interaction, and human-automation interaction. And on those fields of interaction, we're trying to optimize the interaction to what we call the collaborative activity, collaborative interactions that enables people to be, uh, be able to know what they need to know currently, be aware of what they're doing, and also enable to have a complete life cycle, collaborative life cycle of activities where they manage, control, plan, and activate the variety of activities with a common goal. So that common goal is a big feature of what is occurring. Not only technology is developing rapidly, also the needs are developing rapidly. The solutions involve and entail increasing numbers of participants, participating devices, participating technologies, participating people. That makes the system complex and large. And we have to develop the technologies for interaction, and we're doing that. And while we're doing that, we have to keep in mind we want it to be efficient, we want it to be uh, enjoyable, as well as we want to make sure that it is flexible enough to overcome any disruptions and any errors and any disturbances. So a fundamental platform that we have to develop is what we call in industrial engineering a hub for collaborative intelligence. That enables multiple people to interact and work in parallel with intelligence systems, artificial intelligence systems, what we call today cyber system, that are connected to the people, but also connected to the physical environment of what we are talking about. So let, let's take an example. Suppose we look at a, a warehouse in a hospital, a warehouse in agriculture, a warehouse in a factory, a warehouse in e-commerce like Amazon, and people are customers that want to order, and distributors, they have to know where the services or the digital product, let's say movie or a podcast, are available. And we have to go from the distributors to the suppliers of those. And there are some storage issues on the way. So all those are becoming complex, what people call in the market, supply chains. And supply chains are very important. We call them supply networks because it's a network of multiple suppliers. Each supplier is a supplier of something and a customer of something else. And that's what makes the chain that we call supply chain. All the way from the original supplier of materials or energy or cultural media through variety of channels that eventually get it to the final consumer, to the end customer. This is actually a network of multiple suppliers and customers at the same time. And they end at the end consumer. So 
when we are looking at that, we call them smart warehouses today. And one example is the use of collaborative robots that are mobile and running around. And instead of people going to where the storage is, the storage could be physical or the storage could be in cloud memory. This conversion of digital and physical, and sometimes you need both of them in order to develop a useful service. You need to make sure that all this complicated system, first of all, has the availability of what you need the timeliness of the ability, availability, and then the physical logistics of how to move them, if it's virtual, over the internet, if it is physical, over the road, or on airplanes. It sounds like industrial engineers affect many industries and systems. But the real challenge is this. Would you say industrial engineers could help my dad use a cell phone? I would say for people born recently, the best example would be a cell phone. A cell phone, those that know the, what we call today the land phone, an obsolete, archaic concept, uh, had the physical cables to connect and had very limited uh, information. You had maybe numbers so you can interact as a human with the telephony system, communication system, but you, all you had <laughs> for your disposal were some digits. And you can cancel the call, or you can get mad and scream at the device, which is part of human interaction. But very quickly, we started to see that to optimize interaction, uh, to overcome conflicts in interaction, to, to arrange interactions so they are very efficient, uh, interaction with your tools, interaction with your cell phone, interaction with your computer, interaction with your roommates, You've had an incredible career working with many generations of technology. How has work changed over time? At least in my lifetime, we realized that the advanced generations of industrial methods relate to computers and to electronics. So fairly quickly, while originally we were designing work methods for machines, work methods for processes, work methods for chemical processes, work, for pro uh, work methods and techniques and standards for uh, products, real products, for services, for hospital activities, for uh, court system activities, for libraries. All those methods that industrial engineers are responsible for uh, became electronic. We moved from electronic work that enables activities with devices, tools, machines, and communication systems and entertainment systems. And we move to the level that we called C-work, collaborative work. And collaboration is another term in industrial engineering that has transformed over the years. So we try to optimize interaction. And how do we do that? We develop the concept of e-collaboration, which means use mechanisms that are computerized and intelligent and enable not only interaction, which is of course the first step, you must enable interaction with a machine or with a phone or, or with a friend, especially remotely, you, you must enable it. But when you look at the difference between enable 
and enable it well so you can collaborate efficiently, effectively, and produce not only good interaction, but you want also the outcome of the interaction to be optimized. And that is perhaps another observation about industrial engineering, a unique observation. We are worried not only about the fact that the product is enabled, we have to guarantee that the product provides interaction that anybody using the product or needing the product or consuming the product will not be hurt, will be safe, will enjoy what they are doing. The word joy is important in industrial engineering because we want people to enjoy the interaction and we want people to benefit from interaction that leads to useful and hopefully optimal deliverables, results, products. I think in the last couple of months, as a society, we've become much more aware of the fragility of our supply chains, especially when it comes to toilet paper in March or, you know, seeing farmers dump their milk in April. Can you give me an example of how industrial engineers improve supply chains that are affected by disruptions? Supply chain, especially under disruptions, weather disruption, earthquake disruption, um, political disruptions, and now we are all aware of the pandemic uh, disruption. So we have uh, already, as civilization and as a profession, we have already thought about all those things and we are prepared for them because we know if you have a complicated system and you want to optimize its operation, you cannot ignore the fact that changes are going to be going on more rapidly than you expect. And usually, you, un you have uncertainty about when they happen. So we must be prepared for them. That means more intelligence in our cyber systems, more intelligence in our management and control systems and planning systems. Planning is very important. And we know how to do it. It is, however, the weakness of trying to make a definition and stick with it. So, uh, as I said earlier about Industry 4.0, we prefer to think about Automation 5.0 because we can differentiate between the levels of automation. How can we technologically influence the beauty, the enjoyment, and the resilience and sustainability of those systems that are supposed to help us as civilization. Now that we are moving to automation 5.0, which means at the level of, some people call it 5G, generation 5.0, meaning we put so much more intelligence because we have so many nature-inspired te uh, technologies and, uh, and algorithms and math and statistics and machine learning to enable more intelligence, artificial intelligence. So is this pandemic the last one? No, we know that there will be other disruptions. As a civilization, can we prepare culturally? Can we prepare psychologically? Can we prepare ourselves and can we prepare the engineering solutions to prepare for it? The fragility of supply chains is if we do not prepare them for resilience. So yes, we know how to design systems for resilience. And one of the important capabilities, enabling capabilities, is the intelligence, or what we call cyber, because we need real-time interaction to more rapidly prepare ourselves to overcome 
uh, imminent danger to our survival as a civilization. So we have the solutions and by cyber augmentation, we can augment our systems, meaning help them to be better and help them to augment. And we sometimes say integration was a big issue in the previous century. It still is a big issue. We need to integrate to make sure that we have all the necessary components and information and capabilities at the right time, at the right place. But now we are looking at the word augmentation as the frontier of engineering in general or an industry engineering in particular. So the augmentation can go from the human or individual or animal augmentation to the device augmentation. The cell phone that we have keeps improving because different people are saying, this is not enough for me, this is not sufficient for me, this is obscured for me, this is confusing to me, I have conflicts with that. And people are listening to them and are developing augmentations, what we call augmentations, inside the cell phone system to enable people to work better with it because it has become such a necessary part of our, uh, our uh, daily life. One other small question is, can machines instruct us? This is an important question. I, I understand most people will answer that, of course, whatever we do, we Google, we learn from it, machines instruct us. That's obvious. But if we are working with a machine, suppose we are working on telemedicine platform. Can the machine instruct the physician? Can the machine instruct the nurse? What we talked about before, augmenting the knowledge of a nurse when she's facing a current need by a given individual patient, and she has or he has a certain amount of knowledge and experience, we want to prevent errors. So we want the machine, and I'm using the word machine, it could be a computer, it could be a cloud, it could be an IoT, an iOS, could be cyber, some intelligence, maybe from another nurse, maybe from a team of nurses that specialize it in Chile. And they have that knowledge and experience, or maybe it was in Taiwan. And they have that knowledge and they want to share it because civilization depends on sharing and interacting and optimizing the interaction by bringing it to that nurse wherever she is or he is and giving them what they need for the given situation at the right time, just in time, and just in need. So again, just in time is not sufficient for us. And the availability on Google is also not sufficient for us. We need it only when we need it, and we need the correct one that we can trust. Do we trust what Google brings us? When you are a patient and you are telemedicine working with a nurse, and you expect the true response, and medication and treatment and advice, you expect to trust it and not to make errors. And the nurse expects the same. And maybe the nurse is doing his or her best. But if we can augment that by providing timely information that is pertinent to the needs of this particular individual, that is definitely better than not doing this augmentation, this better enablement this optimal enablement at the moment. You've given a great example of how this could be incredibly important, especially given the COVID-19 pandemic. 
What challenges has the field helped solve and what are the new challenges? All those challenges uh, fall under what uh, uh, industrial engineers have developed over maybe the last 20, 30 years that we, some of us call it collaborative control theory. And the idea of collaborative control theory, CCT, is that we have to view of cyber augmentation of uh, automation in general, of the automation platforms that enable better solutions for humans, uh, whether it is uh, flying an airplane or uh, developing autonomous cars or developing uh, precision agriculture with the IoT and IOS. Uh, And the collaborative control theory is trying to uh, follow a motto. And the motto is that uh, we either collaborate or collapse. We know that from kindergarten. Uh, But for organizations, we also know that. And for uh, any automated platform that we're using, collaborate or collapse means that if you don't collaborate in the supply network, what some people call supply chain, if you don't collaborate, then the whole system will collapse. Uh, Obviously, we all know that teamwork depends on all team members. If the collaboration is not designed and is not maintained, is not designed to be resilient, in other words, we need backup. If some parts are failing, how can we tolerate, how can we tolerate this fault, fault tolerance, and how can we continue activities to collaborate? So succinctly, CCT is a collaborative control theory that is looking at designing networks and designing systems to be resilient and sustainable by collaboration. And the second part of the motto is collaborate and conquer. By collaboration, we can conquer the disruptions, we can conquer the conflicts, we can conquer errors, we can conquer the new challenges. So when we go beyond the motto, collaborative control theory enables collaborative automation and intelligence and resilience by technically we call them collaborative control agents, algorithms, and protocols, which are partly what we call today data science, and beyond data science, it's also systems and network engineering. And there are two things that we can summarize on this uh, uh, technology, collaborative control uh, theory, on on this theory. Uh, The first one is to augment people, to augment individuals, we gave some examples of that, to augment teams, to augment organizations, and doing this augmentation by cyber support for collaborative intelligence. And the second one is to enable better results with physical tools and infrastructure and platforms by applying cyber intelligence. So cyber intelligence, again, is a combination of artificial intelligence, which is human intelligence put into computer and communication and real-time control capabilities under brain models or cyber intelligence models. And that is part of our frontier in the profession and frontier in engineering in general. Thank you, Professor Noth, for sharing with us today. 
and for the steps that you take daily to change the world and inspire our students. Tune in next month for more from Purdue University's College of Engineering.